That means we're officially rolling. Okay. Once, the, once the clap happens. Okay. Test, test. Welcome to the Chasing Greatness podcast. Proudly sponsored by... <laughs> Proud Source Water. <laughs> the, Straight from the Rocky Mountains. Uh, sponsored by Zymes Ford, actually. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. I like that. There's That's, a real sponsor. That sounds better. Give me a sticker for, for right here. Okay. Done. Mike Zymes of Zymes Ford, a.k.a. Little Rude. Little Rude, yeah. A.k.a. In the house. The Car Father, a.k.a. I'm trying to think the other, uh, the other personas that I've had. There's been a handful of them, but I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad to be here. We're going to talk to Mike Zimes today. Thanks for Not having little me. Not Rude. Well, there's, only, mi- there's he, only one watch on. I'm, uh, I'm drinking whiskey, so he might come so out. So we'll see. see. Yeah, yeah, see how, how many whiskeys we have. But um, no, I'm super, I'm super excited, uh, excited that you're here. Um, I joke that you're my first ever client and also the only one that never signed. So, you know, you get to have we're, that. Yeah, we're on a day-by-day <laughs> yeah. contract. I'm still trying to earn the business. I'm still trying to yeah. earn, the, earn the signature one of these days. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of hold that one close to the chest. We'll Purposefully see. not signing. I see how it is. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm super excited. So, uh, you know, one of the things I want to talk about for sure is, you know, peeling back of uh, learning a little bit of the mindset behind the crazy that is Mike Zimes. And who in the world would want to ride a bike 100 miles while also running a business and raising a family and, you know, doing all of the things that you do? Um, But before we dive in on that, I actually want to hear, how did you start biking? Like, what was the, have you been, have you been mountain biking for years, for a really long time? What what got you started on mountain biking? So I I started, um, when I grew up, I lived on this house or in this house, and uh, behind the house was were the hills. So I had this old Murray, it was a fully rigid mountain, I guess you could call it a mountain bike. And I, I loved to just go explore the wilderness. Um, so I spent my childhood behind my house, riding my bike up and down the hills, and fell in love with it that way. Um, Got a little bit more serious, uh, maybe in my mid-teens. I, I actually got my first proper mountain bike. And then uh, me and my, my buddy, it was kind of our, the thing that linked us together. So we've been doing it um, ever since. So Still? Since we, with the same buddy? He, yeah, he st- actually does the Leadville with me. So Awesome. Um, and then have you, did you stick with it the whole time? gaps i mean has it always been a we so uh, late teens early 20s we decided to do the 24 hours of moab uh, as a duo team Uh, so that's kind of crazy that's just as crazy as leadville um we did that for two or three years um as a duo team and then when you say duo team do you mean that you're taking turns for the 24 hours or you're doing it together Right. So he, so there's laps. So there's 15 mile laps. So for 24 hours, I'll ride one lap or two laps in a row and then he'll switch and ride. So we alternate the laps and then we, we do as many as we can in 24 hours. How cool. Um, the last year we did it, there was a, there was a big rainstorm and flash flooding. So they like actually paused the race and I think they started it back up in the morning, but, um, I was, and it was at night. So I was the, the, last person at night to come off the course 
Um, the trail was flooded up to your uh, knees with water. Really scary kind of situation. The ambulances were going up, picking up people that had wrecked. And like actually dangerous. Yeah. No, it was. it got scary. So you were the last person off. We were just talking about, you know, DFL or last ass over the pass or whatever. Yeah. Were you actually last or were you just the last person to get pulled? Well, for the for the break that they had that year. So they took a break. They can't they they were thinking about canceling it, but I think they just paused it for and I, if I I don't remember, but they may have canceled the race. Um but it was it was pretty scary. It's crazy. <laughs> How do you go from you know, I don't know, I'll call it casually exploring the wilderness, as you called it, to like these crazy, whether it's a 24-hour event or a 100-mile race, I would imagine there was some level of progression in there, or did you, like, were, were you doing other competition or race-type events? Uh, no. No, the 24 hours was, like, really the only race I did um, up until my 30s, I think. Then I, I entered, like, the Road Apple Rally that it's a local race in Farmington. Um, but we had no idea what we were doing. We just were like, oh, let's pick the hardest thing we can think of and let's try to do and it. And just going yeah. for it. Uh, curious why, like for, what was the driving factor between, like the first sign up for the 24 hours of Moab, fun, challenge, bond, you know, weekend away with a buddy. What, what was the... Kind of all the above. I think we we were unrealistically optimistic about our abilities and ignorance is bliss. Yep. And we got a pretty rude awakening the first year on how hard it would actually be to keep riding that same lap for 24 hours. Um, the night laps were the most interesting. Um, the mice would come out and run across the road and as racers would go by, they'd run over the mice. So oh, as the night went on, the mice would pile up on the road and I remember, um, so you have a, a light on your bike, on your handlebar, and then you have a light on your, your helmet, and mo it's in Moab. So pretty rough terrain, a lot of stair steps and sandstone-type terrain, and I wrecked at night, and going down this little ledge, and went over the handlebars, broke my light off of my handlebars, and... I had to find some bailing wire on a barbed wire fence, and I wired my light back, finished the lap, and then my buddy Matt um, did the second lap, or the lap after that. And when I went back out again the second time at night, um, I had fixed that light with a new clip. Same exact place. I do the same exact, exact thing. <laughs> you fell again? I fell again. And as I was going over the handlebars, I was looking down at the dirt, and I saw the piece that had broken off the first time down there on the ground. So literally the exact spot. Yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of surreal. Yeah, that's awesome. And that was – help me with the timeline on that. that those, those Moab runs were how long ago? Those were – so they don't do that race anymore, Um they, that was probably mid-2000s, I'd say. Awesome. You're making me feel nervous for my mountain biking debut next Monday. Oh, you'll be fine. <laughs> you're, I, with, you're with trained professionals. I've, I've been, <laughs> I've, I was talking to Quinn. I'm like, is it cheating to go with the e-bike? You know, because I can kind of justify it because we have camera gear, but I also feel like one of the benefits of the whole Adventures with Zymes 
thing is that I get to experience some cool stuff too. So I'm, I, we'll see how it, what I decide on Monday. But I'm thinking about just having them give me a regular bike and see if you know, see if I can at least survive out there. But I'll, I'll see what your advice I, is I on think, it. I think if you can run 60 plus miles, I think you'll be fine on a bike. Ah, uh, we'll see. That's actually kind of I, one of the things I'm interested to pick your brain on. Some of the differences on it, um, like, so when I did my first ultra. I guess it's been like three weeks is all now. Um, I was thinking about the difference between what I'll call an ultra length mountain bike ride or bike ride and an ultra running event. And I, there's got to be some pretty significant differences in terms of fatigue. So like running on one hand, this is, I've never mountain biked really. Like I've, I've, you know, I've, I've ridden a bike as much as the next guy, but I've never really mountain biked. Mount running you have the impact, but you also can kind of like change your steps a little. You can have your, you can, it's not necessarily recommended, but you can kind of change your cadence. So you're working different muscles and you can kind of like work through it. Biking, I feel like you don't have the impact, but you only have the one motion. So I just feel like it'd be a different, it would be interesting if you could ever talk to somebody that's like, actually done an ultra run and an ultra yeah. ride because i feel like the muscle fatigue in biking has got to be you know in, in running it was the impact and then the ligaments were were really what mess what ended up doing pulling me out was my achilles tendon where biking though i feel like you end up with it's such a different level of muscle you know muscle fatigue without the impact but it's all speculative i don't know I, I haven't met somebody that's done both, but I've listened to uh, some podcasts with some people that have done both. And I think the, the thing that sets the biking apart is the contact points. So the run, you have your, your feet are your two main contact, contact points. On the bike, you have your hands, you've got your, your butt, right. and then you've got your feet, and you're bent over. So I think that's what makes the bike – I'm not going to say that the bike's harder than the run – but the, the people that I've heard from that have done both, they say that the pain from all of those contact points makes the bike harder. Because there's three, it's almost like there's three opportunities for, yeah. you know, huge issues. Well, four, well, five. So you got your feet, your hands. Right, and your both feet, butt. both hands, and your butt. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we're, you know, running. Of course, I will say when I was, I got, I've never had this happen, but I ran far enough that my back started hurting. Oh, wow. Which is the, you know, that's a first. I've never had back fatigue from running. So I, 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 it t shows you how little. I probably, three weeks ago, looked a lot like Mike Zimes at the first Moab, 24 hours <laughs> of Moab, because I had no clue what I was doing. And I, I had trekking poles, which I never trained with. I've never ran with. You know, I'm clueless with them. But my back was hurting so bad, I started using my trekking poles at the end. It, I learned, I learned quickly how little I knew, but I also learned that like how possible it is. So now I'm, I'm fully hooked. You've even got me looking at the Leadville 100 and I think you should do it. Let's sign up. The, uh, well, I, have I've, you got, seen, I've got the website pulled up right here. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah. No, but have you seen the, uh, there's a camp that I'm looking at. They yeah. do a, it's like the Leadville and you can pay for, if you pay for the camp and registry, you also get in to the race. And it's like a three or four day, uh, you know, crash course training thing. And you run different segments of it. I feel like I've got to do something like that. 
first, but who knows? I think that that would pay dividends um, if you want to do the race. And I think that camp, I think, gets you a guaranteed entry into the race. It does. Too. Yeah. Yeah. I would I would do that. I kind of wish I did that my first year because um, you do learn so much. Um, the first year we did it, we had no idea, just like the Moab thing. We had no idea what we were doing. We are like, oh, that's, you know, the – the how Leadville came to be for us. Um, I saw this video of Lance Armstrong, and um, this was after he he'd actually raced in Leadville, but this was uh, he raced the La Ruta um, de Conquistadores. That's a race in Costa Rica, and it goes from the Pacific coast to the Caribbean side. It goes all the way across at the same route that the Conquistadores. Um, invaded costa rica or however they yeah. came through that's a road race it's a mountain bike race it is. but okay. they say that's probably the hardest mountain bike race in the world it's a three-day stage race so i saw him do that and that's really kind of i was like well that looks pretty hard let's you know i set my sights on that and then after talking to my buddy we're like okay well there's leadville so the the conquistadori uh race is kind of like doing maybe two or three lead bills right they're doing a lead bill every day for three days so we're like okay well let's see if we can do leadville i haven't gotten to la ruta yet but um we've been to leadville three times together yeah so i want to hear about the first one the especially the you, you know you talk about learning a lot and you know kind of kind of just going for it i'm interested to like because especially now, because I've got a little more perspective on things like aid station and nutrition and, you know, fuel and things like that. I want to hear, in fact, before we do that, I, I also want to hear about the UN, remind me your buddy's name. Matt. Matt. So you and Matt see this race with, with Lance Armstrong, start researching Leadville or how did you like what was the I, I think he might have brought up Leadville because I think we both knew how hard the LaRuda is. Um, and you're looking for your version of that? Well, we, I, I still want to do that. I don't know about him, but, um, it was kind of a test to see if it was possible to do La Ruta. Got it. So this, you were feeling like there's a, even a huge, yeah. even a more massive goal out there. Right. But this is Leadville all. is like a step to an even bigger goal eventually. Is that a plan eventually? Um, it might be. There's also. You're on the record. There's also, <laughs> um. There is a – it's not really a race. It's more of a, a – well, it, some people race it, but it goes from Canada to Mexico on the Continental Divide. Wow. Um, it's called the Tour Divide, and that um, – it's like a bike packing event. It's – I believe it's 2,700 miles. So that's like doing a Leadville every day for a, a month. month. Yeah. Crazy. So yeah. That, I'm it, not signing up for that yet, yeah. but – but it's there. That's in the sights. It's yeah. on the horizon. Yeah. That's what's wild is like, you know, for anybody else, the Leadville 100 seems astronomically big. It's it's always crazy to have conversations like this, and there's like the next thing that's yeah. even bigger. A hundred a hundred miles seems a long way until you ride a hundred miles, and then you're like, oh well, what's Maybe next? I go further. Maybe I can go a thousand. Yeah, it's wild. But tell me about the first one because the first one, I believe. We didn't finish, correct? Yeah, so the first one, um, 
didn't finish. I got so there's aid stations um, and cutoff time, so I didn't make the cutoff time. So you didn't tap out. You were forced. You, yeah, I was. I'm glad I was pulled, but I probably wouldn't have quit. Um, but they did pull me from the race. Um, I think mile 64. So I'd made it all the way up. It's an out and out and back course. Made it all the way up um, to Columbine, which is the um, highest point of the race and back down to a section called Twin Lakes and got pulled there because I, I missed my cutoff time by three minutes. And this was in 2020? Would have been 21. 2021, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, walk me through the process of deciding to try Leadville for the first time and then, you know, actually, did you have a formal training plan? Did you have a coach did, were you guys experimenting with uh, nutrition the, and fuel and stuff like that the first so the first year no coach um i thought that i could ride an hour a day for four or five times a week and that would be sufficient um didn't do any hill climbing and i had no idea that there were hills or mountains that big because <laughs> in farmington we have hills hills um, yeah we don't have mountains we have hills so probably the the longest climb that I did in Farmington was probably 500 feet of elevation gain. And you're staring down the pipe of... So over the course of the Leadville 100, um, it's over 12,000 feet of climbing. Yeah. So yesterday, actually, I had on the podcast Cameron Winters. I don't know if you know him or not, but he's an ultra runner. He owns Durango Fitness Club. Okay. Really great guy. Um, and I was joking with him about how ill-prepared I was for my first run. And we were talking about elevation gain. And he tries to get the elevation of the race per week. Yeah. I mean, that's, like, that's the new strategy for me, too. At least when I'm in at least probably three, three or four months up to the race, or at least three months. Um, that's a good goal to have. Yeah. So anyway, though, 2021, 500 feet maybe sometimes in training. Informal training at best. Informal training. And probably I want, my goal was to ride four or five times a week, but I, I probably really only rode on average probably three times a week. Right. You so a very ill Run a business and live life. and yep. Had no idea about nutrition. Um, our strategy was to carry all of our food with us and not utilize any of the aid stations. Oh, interesting and, choice. And we didn't train using the aid station food. So you can find out. Uh, beforehand what food is going to be at the aid stations so you can train your stomach to be used to that kind of food so if they're using a certain brand of um, gel or bananas or whatever electrolyte mix they have you can train with that so if you want to rely on the aid station that's a good strategy because you're used to that if you don't want to carry all of your own food but so you didn't have a crew you guys just showed up? Uh, no, we did have a crew. So the they waited for us at the Twin Lakes aid station. So we did have a crew. So we met with them once. Right. But there's um, four aid stations that you can utilize throughout the course, and you can hit them up twice if you want to. Yeah, because you could have a total of eight yep. aid stations, right? And a lot of people, I think, have crew kind of leapfrog all the way there? Yeah, that, that kind of becomes a little difficult with logistics. Um, if your crew, at least for Leadville, if, they, if you don't want them at the starting line, which a lot of people's crew are, are their family, so a lot of the family likes to watch the starting line. Sure. 
Um, you could probably um, get to one aid station early and then get to maybe the pipeline on the inbound like skip section. One. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, though, you're so the plan is is crew is going to be at the turnaround point. Yep. Fifty miles. But, in. More or less, they're they're going to be at uh, mile forty two or yeah, mile forty two, and you turn around at mile 52 and a half or so they call it the leadville 100 but it's really the leadville 105 and those five matter the five they give you the five for free <laughs> that's the tip yeah yeah so um you're you're uh, essentially then you've got backpacks on with all your food the camelbacks so or do the you... first year we tried to use bottles so we have you have a uh, bike jersey has uh, pockets in the back you can put your, your gels and your food. Um, and then we were doing bottle switches. And then at the aid stations, we were filling up with their with whatever they electrolyte had. mix, which we neither of us had trained with. How'd your stomach do? Uh, my stomach was okay. I, I didn't eat enough. Um, the stomach was fine. It was, I just didn't fuel properly. Um, I started cramping about mile 20. And kind of had cramps on and off um, until they pulled me from the race. Brutal. And you were just powering through, powering through the cramps. Yeah. Well, um, that year I've kind of learned because I, I think I'm more prone to cramping than some people. But um, the first year I'd get off my bike and just kind of stretch the legs out and then hop back on. And um, I've learned to just keep pedaling, and and the the cramps actually go they go away eventually. Really. Like you can, you've you've gotten to the point you can pedal through cramps. Mm -hmm. You got to dial the power back, um, but yeah, I just power, I just pedal right through the cramps. Now. Wow! Because I the this last year was um, probably the the year that I had the least amount of cramping, but I I tend to always cramp. I don't know if it's the elevation, but it just doesn't matter how much how many electrolytes I take in or carbohydrates. I just cramp. Do you cramp in training? Rarely. Weird. So maybe there's got to be some variable yeah. with. Well, there's not. There's not a part of that race that's under nine ninety three hundred feet. And so Farmington's at like five thousand. Fifty five. Yeah. Durango's at seventy five. Um, the highest. So I, I do a lot of training in Durango now, and the highest. Really, the highest point you can practically get to is about eleven thousand feet. Like if you're wanting to ride on dirt. Um, you can get up to about 11. Yeah. I wonder if that's it, if it's elevation and could be. oxygen or you push harder than you realize on race day or something. Yeah, it could be the, just the race day uh, adrenaline and the competition and all that. Yeah. Be. So tell me about – and, well, how, how close were you on the cutoff year one? When, you know, like – because you had you'd mentioned that – you don't think you would have pulled, which I think is awesome, but that, you know, you didn't get to the aid station in time. Was it close? Like, did you know it was going to happen or? Uh, I, I had really no um, information on the cutoff times. I didn't pay attention to that. You're just right. First year, I just, I, other than the, the people at the aid station, they're like, oh, you got to go. Because I was at the top of the mountain. They're like, oh, you got to go. You can make it. So I was like, okay. So I um, got some food up there um, and then rode down the mountain. Um, I was three minutes away from making the cutoff time. Three minutes yeah. of a 15-hour race. Like, yeah. three minutes is nothing. Yeah, so you have um, – to officially finish, you have to finish it in under 12 hours. Okay, 12 hours is the cutoff for biking. Yeah. Jeez, that's so fast. 
Yeah, the pros, um, and there's some pros from Durango that race it, and they're all sub seven hour guys. Unreal. Yeah, though I think the even like the elite runners are more at like eighteen hours for the lead course. Bill. Yeah, yeah, and those are the pros. Yeah, the you know a guy like me would probably take thirty hours. I I don't I think I'd be running for a week if I tried to do that. <laughs> yeah. run. That's why. So the hundred miler I signed up for, it's the Buffalo run 100. It's the end of March. And a part of the reason why I signed up for it is it has a 37 hour cutoff time. Hmm. Like not a 24. I can walk that if I have to, yeah. you know, like, like there's enough time for some things to go wrong and still have success a possibility. Yeah. And I think the lead bills at 36 hour too, I think. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. And this has, you know, a 10th of, the elevation gain that Leadville has. So there's, you know, some decisions there. But um, were there factors other than, like, the train, the physical component with a race like that, you know, elevation and training? Any issues with or, or even the, just, like, things that people don't think about with, I don't know, navigation or the riding at night or just those other things that can make a race of that distance – have these other variables? Um, the biggest variable for me is that I'm a big guy. So I, I'm six foot four, 245 pounds. So I'm not, a, I'm not a biker. I'm not a bicyclist. By you don't structure. identify as, you don't identify as a biker, as a uh, biker. I do, but people look at me weird when I say I'm a, I ride my bike. That's um, interesting. But that's, that's the biggest hurdle for me. Um, some of the unknowns, um, you so the race starts out cold it starts out about 40 degrees and it gets up to about 75 during the day and you don't realize even when it's cold that you should be drinking because you at that elevation you lose you get dehydrated faster yeah. so um you may not feel like drinking in the morning but you need to stay hydrated um and you also need to be prepared for 40-degree temperatures. But 75 at 10,000 feet feels a lot warmer than yeah. it does at 5,500 feet. And 40 so. feels a lot colder. Yeah, exactly. So you got to kind of be ready for all the extremes of weather, yep. too. Yeah, temperature. And, and a storm could roll in in an instant. Um, you know, if you're up at the top of the mountain, they've seen snow and hail and wind, um, rain. And you're pretty on your own. It's not like there's – like something goes wrong at the top, closest aids. The, there's an aid station at the top. Um, so they don't have any mechanical um, support at the top. But Oh, there's another variable difference that's interesting to think about with biking versus running. Yeah. Not much can go wrong mechanically if you're running. Right. But biking, there's all these other variables with chains and tires and pedals and – Right. Just so, are you carrying a a little mechanical pack too, like a fix a flat and a wrench, or I have a yeah, I have a saddlebag, and it has all kind of your bare essentials for fixing a bike as, as much as you can do on the trail. At least to like patch a flat and get a chain back on, something like that. Um, and you kind of bringing up the the bike thing, the mechanical thing on the other side is um, Leadville has um, a lot of steep climbs on and for for the average joe are unrideable so you're you're not only are you you know you, you can have mechanical issues but when you're not riding your bike you're walking but you're also pushing your bike right and you're in uh, not ideal shoes you're yeah you're in stiff 
biking shoes walking up a hill. Right. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. So are you in the category of do you ride all of it or do you no, walk for a part of no, it? No, I walk. There's a good portion. Um, there's two um, well-known climbs, and there's the Columbine climb, which is the first one, and it's it's the halfway point. And it starts at 9,300 feet, and it goes all the way up to, I think, 12.3 or 12.4. So it's over 3,000 feet. Yeah. Towards the end, they call it the goat trail. It's this rocky, steep section. Um, And pretty much everybody that's not a pro walks that part. Um, And that's you're probably walking about a mile or a mile and a half to get up to the top. Pushing a bike on a steep hill. Pushing a bike. In stiff shoes and and you probably never trained pushing your bike um i they i've heard of people doing that but i never it never sounded appealing to me yeah i i don't (laughs) i i wouldn't you know like today's the day okay okay, on the day that it happens i'm gonna do it i'll push it push up the hill when you have to Yeah. yeah which actually if you're doing the uh you know the elevation training method maybe it would happen organically yeah along the way yeah so we time out year one how are we feeling? Are we frustrated? Are we in pain? Are we relieved? Um, I was relieved that I got pulled because it would have been a much harder day. So uh, Matt, my buddy, um, the first year he uh, rode the course, made that cutoff time, and he missed, I think maybe it was the second or the second to last cutoff time, missed it by a couple minutes, Um, didn't get they didn't pull him. They, he and this other rider, they continued to ride the race and they finished it, I think in 13 hours. Um, but when you finish in 13 hours, do you get a buckle? Uh, you don't get a buckle. No, you have to finish in under 12, but, but they let him, they let him, they let him. So he finished the course, just not in the allotted time, but the, the way that he looked when he got back, I was like, I'm so glad I got pulled. <laughs> yeah. He he wasn't looking too good. Right. He came back. Yeah, when I, talking to Cameron yesterday, they last weekend ran a hundred miler. Him and some buddies, and uh, he said when they finished, both of his buddies were like, I "Hate to disappoint you, man, but we are never doing that ever again, ever." And then, of course, you know, six days later, they've already signed up for the next yeah. one, and that's kind of what I'm curious about too. So, you know, year one obviously didn't go great, but it sounds like also wasn't, you know. Detriment, like devastatingly bad. There's some learning curves, and but all things considered, a pretty, you know, I don't know, it could have been worse, also type day. But what I'm curious about, because then I know that there's been, you know, a few years after that that we're going to talk about. But what made you? I'm kind of curious, just the mindset or the decision process, and even the timeline on it too, from year one not going great to then you saying I'm going to do that again <laughs> um so year one happened um I I kind of had the mindset of um I have unfinished business in Leadville so did um, you feel like you failed uh, no but I I knew I wanted to finish the race and like I, you could tell it was doable though yeah. I knew I could do it yeah, after that point. And I wanted one of these stupid buckles. Yeah. I don't know why we do this for a stupid belt buckle. I'm telling you, I'm now obsessed with buckles. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so in September, I did a 100-mile race um, in Flagstaff that September after not finishing Leadville. 
And that was actually the first time I ever rode 100 miles was finishing that race. Um, that did, actually, did they give out buckles at that one? They did. I have a little buckle um, from that, but it's not as cool as the Leadville buckle, but I do have a little buckle from that one. When I finished the uh, – I ran 105 kilometers, not miles, 65 miles. Um, and I got, you would, you'll get a kick out of it, but it's the doinkiest metal that you can imagine. It's a carved off bottom of a little tree. It's a little wood metal. And they clearly like just burned in the, you know, 24 hours of Palmer Lake emblem. on it. And those are for ultra finishers. hundred milers get the buckle, uh-huh. but it's funny. Cause it's just like this little, it almost looks like a Christmas tree ornament, maybe. Like it's, and it is on a, 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 the most pathetic little ribbon you could imagine. I mean, it's it's. I, th- I think it's genuinely homemade. It means the freaking world to me. So yeah. I, those, those little buckles, you know, they're important too. So that was the that was the first hundred miles I rode, um, and then so the day, the day we didn't finish uh, Leadville, my buddy signs up for this other race in. Austin. Literally the, day of? Yeah, the, the, the night of. He's like, all right, because he, he kind of got the unfinished business bug too. Yeah. Um, so we signed up for that race in no, that November, and it was a 60-mile race. So I did a 100-mile race and then a 60-mile race. Um, a few – so after September of that year, I hired a coach. So You I got had, a little serious. Yeah, I was like, okay, I need, I need some help here because – Mike's training plan isn't cutting the mustard, <laughs> so we need to we need some professionals to go to kind of step in here. Um, and I've been with the same coach ever since. Um, thought about trying to go back and doing it myself, but I like having that accountability. Yeah, you know, having somebody to hold you accountable. Do you feel day. like you're still learning from the coach, or it's more really accountability and? the plan side of it or are you actually getting new yeah i i do learn um from him but i think the biggest benefit is having that accountability and then having having somebody pick out workouts that might stretch you a little bit because i would probably pick out workouts that you know are the same old ones that or oh, i'll just go ride my bike right um, but we're doing interval training and um, different types of workouts that focus on different zones and um all that stuff yeah awesome and then, so we hire a coach. We've decided we're doing Leadville again. And walk me through now the, the, the new, you know, the, the, the preparation differences and, and kind of the approach to year. And was it back-to-back years? It was. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. So, and, and for those who don't know, Leadville, uh, to get in, you have to go through uh, the lottery. Um, unless you've done it. Unless you've successfully finished it, I think, seven or eight times. And then there's people that go for their 1,000-mile buckle and their 2,000-mile buckle. But um, if, you, if you haven't finished it, then um, it's a lot harder to get into the lottery. So the second year to get in, we went through um, the Lifetime Foundation and did a, a charity spot. Um, so Because you didn't want to risk it. We, we, we had to finish. So... We're like, okay, well, well, we didn't get in the lottery, so we did try to get in through the lottery. And that, that was unsuccessful. Didn't get in. So then uh, you do get a guaranteed spot if you do the, the charity spot. So that's how we got in the second year. Um, but our strategy had changed. Instead of doing bottles, we wore hydration packs, and we switched those. Uh, we had our crew at the same spot 
but we switched our hydration packs. Um, really leading up to it, focused on nutrition, and then I, I focused on following my um, training plan set by my coach. Yeah. And how did the race go? Uh, well, I finished under 12 hours. I think I finished <laughs> uh, 11 hours and 55 minutes, I think I finished that year. That's crazy. And, you know, like I said earlier, for anybody listening who doesn't wrap their head around the, the significance of how tight that time is, you're looking at a 12-hour window, and you finish in with five minutes yeah. to spare. So my, um, I have a bike computer, and um, it, it connects to my phone. Um, and my wife was sending me um, text messages, because like, she knew how close it was, too. She's like, don't stop. Go, go, go. Like don't you stop. So I could read the text messages. You know, uh, 10 minutes um, into finishing the race, she was sending me all these, these text messages messages saying you got it go, only go, go. 10 minutes before well she was uh, well she knew how tight it was because she and then she can also track me so she knew more or less where i was so she's like okay well he's five minutes or five miles away from the finish line so he he's close yeah and walk me through where you're at physically and mentally at that point you know well, let I, I don't know when the you know the aid station at 80 or whatever so but there's the there's the big the probably the hardest climb is the power line climb and it is i can tell you here it is i think four miles and it goes from basically 9600 feet to back to 11 one yeah in four miles and it's steep it's um a thousand feet per mile almost. It's about it's parts are twenty percent grades and most people walk their, their bike up that. So um it was kind of funny. Um so my buddy had passed me earlier um during the race and then I caught up to him on the first climb and then somehow he passed me again and then I caught up to him again on that power line climb. You guys are kind and, of leapfrogging. Yeah, we were leapfrogging and then I passed him on that. Um, but that, that really zaps you. That's at mile 82. Um, and then you have a descent. Um, it's called the Sugarloaf Descent. And then there's a pavement section, which is is bigger than any climb in Farmington uh, or any climb I had done up to that point, you know, back home, uh, with the exception of any of these Leadville climbs. Um, so you climb up this pavement section, which on the way out you go down, and you're going 40 miles an you're hour down this pavement section. But in the back of your mind, you're like, you know, this is an out and back course. So on the way back, this is gonna. I'm suck. gonna have to climb back up this. Oh, and I was gonna add, you're also 90 miles in at this point. Yeah, you're. So the top of that is mile 92. And if it was a 100-mile race, you'd have eight miles left, but it's a 105-mile race, so you really got 13 more miles. And to you've go. got to be just... You're after the pavement, so I actually get both the last two years, I've gotten a second wind at the top of that pavement. Interesting. For some reason. Um, there's a little aid station, and it's um, a neutral aid station, so you can't have your crew there, but they hand out Cokes, and I... This I put cokes in my water bottle, yep. and then I get back on my bike and drink the cokes, and 
I think that Coke is the, the magic trick at mile 92 or it's whatever. It's got to be because if, especially to know that the cutoff is – like you knew that it was tight at least it sounds like at mile 92-ish. You know, I knew it was tight um, at mile 82. I was like, you know, I have a chance of you know, finishing this thing. Um, so I didn't stop. Like it, you can – it's easy when you're hiking a, hiking a bike up the hill to just stop and – you know, take your time, but you know, one mile an hour is better than zero miles an hour. Right. So I just kept moving, moving is better than not moving. Yep. But what's the? I want to. I want to get into your mind a little bit there, because we're. I mean, you've got to be. What's motivating at that point? Is it the buckle? Is it that I need to finish? Is it that I don't want to have to do this again? Is it? Um. Pride. The the buckle. I think having your your family there to support you is a big thing um, because they came all the way out here for you. So you don't want to let your family down. Um, When you go back to work and your coworkers are asking you, oh, how'd it go? You don't want to say, oh, well, I didn't finish again. You know, so there's all sorts of things. You've got your marketing guy texting you, buckle or bust. (laughs) And then you got your your marketing guy. You've got your coach that are all like, okay, well, you, you don't want to. Not that you, not that it would let them down. They'd be proud of you, anyways. But is that stuff consciously going through your mind, or are you just feeling like I've got a lot of people counting on me, and I gotta drive, I gotta yeah. like? Push. I think it's I, yeah. I think it's more yeah, just people counting on you. You not wanting to let yourself down too. Um, the the founder of the race, his name's Ken Clover, and he gives the best motivational speech the day before the race um there's some youtube videos out there so if you youtube ken clover if you need some motivation um it it was actually so motivational i um we have these little signs that we put quotes on that are inside the the showroom at the dealership and i put one of his quotes on one of those signs and it says um you can do more than you think you can and you're better than you think you are so you, you kind of just – you hear him talking to you, and he always says, dig deep, uh, don't quit. So you hear him talking to you throughout the race. Yeah. So he's a big motivator. On, he gets a lot of people over the finish line on that race. It's, that is a great quote. You can do more than you think you can, and you're better than you think you are. Yeah. I wish – and I think that that's what's so cool about the endurance sports is it gives you a chance to – test that theory in a physical outlet and then at least for me I you know I then get to come back and I've got a little more I don't know what you'd call it stamina for life you know like I can handle this isn't as painful as you know as, yeah. pa- as painful as I was a couple weeks last ago. weekend yeah. I was in the most pain I've ever been and so this is all of a sudden this isn't that bad yeah um but I also think it's it's and it's such a true statement that you're capable of so much more than you think you are and you're better than you think you are and i think it's awesome when there's those situations that kind of force you to figure out what you're made of you know walking your bike 82 miles into a race and knowing that you can't stop cuz i mean and that's where i think hopefully people are can recognize how thin the margin is here you're literally one stop away from not finishing. Yeah. Like literally one extra break and, and there's no buckle. Yeah. I'm, I'm five minutes away. I think that's so, and I relate to it. So when I ran, I ran my full marathon at the beginning of September 
And I made some mistakes there as it relates to my ultra, which is a whole nother conversation. But, uh, well, part of it's because I pushed. But um, I was doing the, you know, you probably when you're biking, you do a similar thing. You kind of are doing math in your head of what mile you're at, how much further you, you know, what's that going to look like. And my first marathon I ever ran, I ran in five hours. And the next two I ran in like 4.30. Like mile six or seven into this one, I realized if I maintained that pace, I could be sub four hours. But that's freaking really hard to do, to maintain that pace for the next, you know, 22.2 miles or or whatever. Um, And so, but it was a cool, it was a fun experience for me because I did maintain the pace. And I almost got in like this weird mental mindset of like, and and actually my 26th mile was my fastest mile of the day because it was just like, I'm going to hit that goal. And I, and I finished in 354. Nice. So similar, you know, the, the little window, but I just think it's cool to hear, but that's, you know, it's at a whole different scale than, you know, figuring that out from mile six to 26 is, a, is very different than 82 to 105. Right. Well, and you're, you're at altitude and you're trying to do biker's math when your, your head's kind of foggy. So it, right. it gets pretty interesting, but I, I think there's been, there's been some studies done on endurance athletes and and just kind of how powerful the brain is, but um, I guess there is a huge amount of people that finish marathons right under four hours because I think four hours is like the that's the time for marathon runners. Is that right? Probably. Like every like a lot of people have that goal. Leadville is the same way. There's the nine hour. And the twelve hour, the nine hour gets you the bu- the big belt buckle. But people have that number in their mind, and there's a bunch of people that finish right under right under nine, and a bunch of people that finish right under twelve. Because it's like it, you, it, it's almost like it's you, you know just enough how hard to push. Yeah, like it's like the dangling carrot, you know, in front of you. Because if it weren't for that, it'd be pretty easy to finish in twelve thirty. Right, you know, you could have taken a twenty-minute break, and I probably stretched. and I probably would have if there wasn't a <laughs> if that was allowed waiting for me. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. And to finish with five minutes, five minutes to spare, and then so we finish year two, which helped me understand too the difference because I know year one there was the 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 we didn't make the cutoff. Do you have any idea of what the speed difference was, what the gap change is from year one to two, or what it would have been? Because what I'm, what I'm curious about is what the Mike Zimes improvement was mm. year over year. It's a good question. I don't, I don't have that number yeah. off the top of my head, but I was faster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just fast enough. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then I would imagine the experience year two is significantly different than year one because you get the buckle, family's around, it's celebratory. Are you instantly filled with, you know, the bucket of dopamine and looking at the next one, or are you like, I'm done, I'm never doing that again? That was so yeah. My mindset right after the the second time was, I'm done. I don't need to do this again. Yeah, once was plenty. Um, so the back to uh, my buddy Matt. So the second year, his story is actually more interesting than my story. Um, he finishes in twelve oh two. the second year. So two two minutes away from getting a bell buckle. Uh, I finished uh, eleven fifty five. Um, 
So I was kind of like, yeah, I'm done. But um, he wanted to he wanted to get a belt buckle. So um, that's and you've got to be there with. I'm him. like, hey, you know what? We'll uh, we'll try it again a third time. And then now that I have my second belt buckle, the uh, the thousand mile belt buckle kind of sounds intriguing. But we'll we'll see. Because we're already twenty percent of the way there. Or, yeah, just eight more to go. Yeah. What's been the biggest difference? Because year three was also was faster than year two, right? What was the finish uh, in year three? Year three, I think I was 12 minutes faster than year two. So 11 or maybe seven minutes. 11.47, I think, was the time. So not tremendously faster, but I was um, kind of experimenting with training the third year. I was, I was like, hey, can I finish without training as much as I did? Because I was – the second year I was writing – 15 hour weeks yeah consistently and that's a lot of bike riding so this the third year i was probably averaging more like 10 hours a week um so i wanted to see okay can i can i finish with training less and you still got faster i got faster and the interesting thing is that it wasn't any easier it was just as hard um, and I, I try to explain how hard this race is to people people that haven't done it but it's until you do it and you experience it, you you don't realize how hard that thing is. Try to explain it. Um, it's it's unexplainable. <laughs> I'd have to I'd have to take you up on one of those hills because of the. And I totally get it. That's why I'm trying to pull from you. The you know, trying to explain it. Do you think that it's the combination of well, it's definitely got to be the combination of so many things. The distance, the elevation gain, the elevation, you know, to begin with, the elements. I mean, it's just a... I think, I think maybe, you know, the, the guys that go out there and hike 14ers might have an idea. Because you get out there and you realize how big those mountains actually are. Um, and it's just, you just feel so small. And your body hurts. There's there's people that are crying on the side of the trail. Yeah, because it hurts so bad. So, I like guess literally, try try to I because and I'm actually curious. And it we talked about it early on, but you know when running has that impact. And the best way I can explain when you're in the real deep pain, running, is it's kind of like shoots of lightning pain that sort of. And it is it is incredibly painful, and it's through the your entire body. And like when I was doing my ultra, I was feeling that even when I was walking, like even a walking step would just jolt these, you know, incredible. But then it was weird. I did. I you talk about your second wind. I hit a second wind right at mile sixty, and I ran for five miles, which was unheard of. At you know at the moment, I I mean I was limping around and and hit that second wind, but. The lightning is how I would describe kind of the the deep pain from running. Try to describe it for me, the 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 physical and the mental state that it puts you in. Um, I think so physically it's just so uncomfortable. Um, and if you're not used to being uncomfortable, then it's hard to deal with mentally. Um, but everything in your mind is telling you you should quit because – Oh, wouldn't it be nice? Oh, I, you know, I want to go, go sit on the couch and drink a beer, but you're stuck out here riding a bike. So to 
to overcome the little voice in your head that's telling you to quit is it's kind of hard to overcome those demons and and you, there's a lot of a lot of darkness that comes with that like people end up being in a really dark place um but it's the uncomfortableness and doing something that's probably it's it's definitely the hardest thing i've ever done um but sticking with that when when the, t- the the voice is telling you to quit is is the hard part. Why do you think that's so? Because it's such a powerful experience too. Like overriding that overwhelming, you know, urge to quit, to give into the mind. I'm curious from you know your thoughts, especially because something keeps pulling you back. You know, you keep doing it again and you again and again. You don't have to be smart to ride bikes. <laughs> Just dumb enough to keep yeah. showing up. But the y- y- there's got to be – do you feel like it's the it, – it's, it's shaping you for other components of your life or that you're feeling fulfilled that, that you yeah, overcame? I, I think it does, it does make you better in – your life um, and the other aspects of your life, um, because I, I think you were saying earlier, um, when your your day gets hard, it's e- it's this doing these hard things makes it easier to push through when it gets hard because it's nowhere near as hard as what you just accomplished doing that race. Um, everyday life, you know, you, we all have challenges, but it makes kind of overcoming those easier. It feels more doable. Yeah, it's like the quote you're. Capable of more than you think. It, it changes the meter. So if your meter of dealing with uncomfortable situations is X amount high, it, it gives you a lot more, gives you a lot uh, taller ceiling for that sort of stuff. How come once isn't enough, though, then? Oh, I, good question. It kind of gets addicting. And I think uh, we were talking about this earlier. Uh, you're kind of an all or nothing guy, and I think I'm, I'm the same way. Um, and it... It's nice being in shape. It keeps you in shape. It gives you something to shoot for. I think if I didn't have that goal um, kind of out in the distance that um, I wouldn't train, I wouldn't be in shape. You know, I'm, I'm not that in shape compared to some people, but I'm in shape enough to finish that race. And having that, that goal and that target out there just keeps you, keeps you going. Yeah. So year three now. We finished in, we you know we we've improved our time again, which at least you're in double digits, which I don't know why, but feels like a safer margin. You know, like eleven forty seven right. feels way faster than thirteen minutes is way longer than. <laughs> I five don't know minutes. why, but it, yeah. th- you know, still you, a lot can go wrong in thirteen minutes. It's like that, yeah. Um, and, but then I it, I assume that we're already prepping for the next one or, or looking ahead at what's next and what is next? What's kind of uh, the, what, what's on the horizon on that end? I don't know yet. That's uh, to be determined. I'm sure Leadville's probably in the future. Do you think you're going to do Leadville every year now? Um, I'd like to, I'd like to get the thousand mile buckle would be the, the next goal. Um, but you're, I'm still dealing with the lottery and trying to get in. So there, I've, I've kind of told myself if I don't, if I don't get in, uh, through the lottery, then I'm, I'll just try again next year. I doubt it. (laughs) 
I would I would bet my next paycheck that I'll be in the race. That you'll find you'll do I'll, the I'll find a way the charity thing or, I'll or do the camp or I'll do something something else. Yeah, because yeah. there well and that's what I think it's interesting because I've had so many of these conversations with the I, I call it endurance athletes or you know and I and I think it changes too especially in the ultra endurance world these hundred mile races that we're talking about but there really is something that gets in you and and people don't have the capacity to not do it anymore i i think it's it's interesting and i think for the endurance athletes i think they they definitely want to try to push the limits and trying to reach the limit and then once you've reached your limit then like i said the ceiling gets taller so your limit isn't what it used to be. You didn't even reach your limit. Right. So what is my limit? And, and you know, both years that I finished, I felt like I could probably have gone faster both years. So trying to push that and go, go faster without totally blowing up and uh, cratering halfway through the race, that's kind of something – that's interesting to play around with. Yeah. And then it's interesting to think about, like, you know, you talk about, and it actually, I, I told you about, I had uh, Doug Miller on, and we were talking about the benefits of being outside of your comfort zone, which in any endurance event like this, you're out of your comfort zone most of the time, which is also kind of interesting because humans most of the time have been out of their comfort zone, you know, until recently when we all have all these comforts that, you know, modern humans get. But I think there's almost something like natural about it. But anyway, what he was talking about was what you'll find is that you get out of your comfort zone and then there's a whole, that becomes the new comfort zone. And then you have to find a way to push the barrier again. And it applies to all sorts of components of life, obviously. But you know, in, the, in the context of sports or, or endurance sports, then that next ring, I think, can look different in a few ways. You could try to be faster like be more uncomfortable for the same distance and finish quicker or how much further right. could you go? Yeah. I think there's those two aspects that are um, intriguing to me. Um, I think what keeps me coming back though, is I just kind of like riding my bike. So my outlook, simple as that. Yeah. I mean, w- that's what I tell myself on, on race days. Like, Oh, all you got to do is go out there and ride your bike. You like riding your bike. Just go out there and do that. And, um, that makes it easier just to get out there and it's just a bike ride. I'm curious about that because there's definitely more. I think it's a great way to frame it day of to have fun. There's definitely more to I, showing up than. Yeah, I wouldn't just show up without training and oh, it's just a bike ride. I, I mean, there's a lot of, there's months of preparation and going into that. Which but. I think is important for people to understand too that riding 100 miles is one thing. Training to successfully ride 100 miles is a whole nother thing. And that's, I think, part of why I'm really liking, you know, this endurance world is because there's so many parallels and so many little lessons along the way. The day of event is usually what gets talked about the most, pushing through the pain and finishing in time and getting the buckle and things like that. But it's like the, the you know, the iceberg. What people don't see is all the other great parallels that have to happen along the way with dedication and consistency 
and, you know, hard work. I mean, it, training for an ultra event in itself is, you know, a whole undertaking well, you, anyway. Yeah, you can, you can get burnt out real fast trying to train for a, an endurance event like Leadville. So maybe running, that's running where the, cycling. And maybe that's where the I like riding my bike mindset helps. Because, you know, try to keep the training the training side of it fun too and and then obviously staying fit yeah, and healthy. I th- yeah, I think if you're if you're going to do something for a prolonged period of time, anything I think it has to be fun to some degree. It's not going to be fun all the time, but So when you're at mile 82 and you're dying, are you having fun? Um I start having fun again at mile once I drink the coke at mile 92 and then um there's this really fun uh, little downhill section that I get to go, you know, get to go really fast on. Um, I have fun right there. When you're going downhill like that, is it actually a break, or do you? Because we talked about those uh, contact points. It's it's not really because, especially depending on the terrain, if it's bumpy, you're using your legs as shock absorbers. So your quads, you know, you have an opportunity for your quads to cramp up again. Yeah. On those downhill, you're basically doing an extended squat um, for however long you're going downhill for. Yeah, it's just working it in a different way in a in still prolonged. Yeah. So that like well, yeah, like the the first year I my first cramp was going downhill after um there's this uphill climb and then you go down the steep downhill part and that's when I started to cramp was um on the downhill part. So it's interesting and if you don't mind humoring me cuz full disclosure I kind of assumed that the downhill with a bike is like a break. Like I've sort of been like, well, they get to go downhill on, on the mountain bike. You know, it's kind of a, and I, and so I, the, I think that that's interesting education for me about, you know, the quads and the, the realities of, of downhill. Do you mind? I'd love it just to, for people to fully wrap their heads around how big of an ordeal Leadville 100 is. Can you kind of walk us through the course? I mean, yeah. I, you know, not every little thing, but I, I think paint the picture of the magnitude of what this is and, and just just kind of help paint the picture of, of what the level 100 looks like. Um, yeah, we can do that for sure. So it's, a, it's an out-and-back course, 105 miles. It starts in downtown Leadville, which is a population of about, I think, maybe 2,000 people. Um, starts on Harrison and Sixth Street. It goes down outside of town, um, and then it gets on this um, dirt part uh, called they call it Saint Kevin's, and it's a climb. And that's the first climb. That's kind of the the part. The first two climbs warm you up or soften you up for the the rest of the day. Um, so there's those first two climbs. You make it up St. Kevin's, and then you have the downhill section that's on the pavement, and that's the really fast section that you, you're in the back of your mind, you're thinking about, okay, well, this is fun, but we're going to have to ride back up this on right. the way back. You get down um, to the bottom of that, and then you climb up um, this other section called Haggerman's, which is a gradual uphill um, that is like rutted out to death. So it's like jarring, like the whole time you're riding up it. Um, you get up that, and then there's another climb um, called Sugarloaf. And 
so at that point, so you've gone from 9,300 feet, which is, or I'm sorry, 10,300 feet is Leadville. Um, at that point, you've probably climbed about three or 4,000 feet. Wow. At that point. And that's how many miles in? Um, that would be, you are about 20 miles into the race. Um, then you go down the power line climb and that's when client, like that's where the downhill is not, you're not taking a break down that because it is steep. It's the 20% uh, um, grade uphill that I was talking about. People walking their bikes up, you're riding down that. Yeah. And it, it's this, um, section that's, uh, got these power lines going down it. So it's like a power line service road on this steep mountain. Um, and, all of the water that Leadville gets in the summer kind of drains down this mountain, and it creates all these grooves and ruts, um, and it's kind of loose and rocky in parts. And it's you know, a lot of people that, that hear about Leadville say it's kind of like a road race, um, so where it's not very technical, but that's um, the most technical part of the race, and it's, it's not easy. A lot of people wreck um this last year i I rode by a guy that had wrecked and um, he was getting tended to by um medics so like a real wreck yeah it was a real real he hit his head pretty hard um so you get down that and then there is about i'd say 15 miles of just flat or false flat like there's not really anything that feels flat flat compared to that yeah But then you have good opportunities for headwinds and things like that. So there's about 15 miles of that. And then you get to the Twin Lakes Dam aid station, which is um, really fun. It's kind of like a big party. There's uh, everybody's aid uh, or crew is set up on the sides of the road, and they're ringing their cowbells. So that's that kind of pumps you up and gets you through that section. And then you get to the Columbine Climb. And the Columbine climb starts at 90, as this says, 92.65, and it goes all the way up to 12,480 feet. Wow. So you get to the top of that, and then you turn around, and you do it all over again. Jeez. But just in reverse. The ups and downs, I think, are, you know, because you, you, you talk about elevation again, and I think, it, you know, you kind of have a tendency of thinking it's, up and then down right in between there's <laughs> there's ups and downs they're just shorter ups and downs in between but um i think um if you can putting the profile of this course on this just so the viewers can kind of get an idea of what visually the, see it what the course looks like because it's and seeing that though isn't like seeing it in person right like i said trying to explain it to people that haven't done it um it's i just I don't think they get it. You just got to, yeah. Unless you've done it, you've, it's a whole nother level. And I think that's why I've been so pumped up to chat with you about it. Cause I have a new appreciation now for like, I've always ran marathons and I've always, I think recognized how big it was. But after, after my attempt at an ultra, I have a whole new appreciation for what's really involved in it and, and how much is there. So, um, you know, we've talked about, you know, year three and things like that. And then those goals, um, besides Leadville, are there any, anything's kind of hanging out on the horizon for, for goals? Um, 
Because I see you're still kind of crushing the training, at least on yeah. you know on Strava. Uh, the and I just don't. I can't really wrap my head around this, but the tour divide is kind of got got my attention. But I I've never bike packed. I've actually never really camped all that much either. So I think there's a pretty big learning curve to combine biking and pack or and camping. So um, that scares me. But uh, that. And plus the time thing. Yeah. You have the, you know, the amount of training you'd have to do leading up to it. And then to be um, unavailable for a whole month or however long it takes. um, What an experience, though. I mean, you'd get to see, imagine the things you'd see. Yeah. Well, there's, yeah. I mean, that would be, and I, well, here's a question actually makes me think. I was going to say that would be a life changing experience. But I, do you feel like Leadville? Is is that a fair statement to say that it's life changing? It's that big. Yeah, I think so. I think it, like more and more people I talk to, they're like they're talking about, oh yeah, I'm gonna do try to do Leadville this year. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I don't even really tell them that I do it, but I'm like, yeah, you should do it. Almost because there's this like, I don't know, stoicism of yeah. I know what's about to. Yeah, I know I, how I, big that is. I just kind of want to watch their journey. If they find out that I've done it and they, they want to, you know, ask me some questions, I'm happy to help there. But um, And I'm by no means, you know, the Leadville guru. But uh, two out of three, I think, is pretty good. Yeah. Um, I, I can point people in the right direction on what they should focus on. Starting to get it figured out at least a little yeah. bit. Plus, we're on our way to the 1,000 the yeah. thousand mile buckle. Well, then, yeah, then I might be able to say I'm an expert when I've, I've done it. Isn't there a measurement for expertise? They measure in hours. I forget what it is, but a thousand hours or something. That, I think it's something like that. Yeah. So a thousand miles. About a, about a thousand miles. I mean, if you add up um, all of the hours of bike training, so let's say you ride your bike 10 hours a week for 52 weeks, you know, you're, you're an expert. You're, you're adding up, you know, pretty quick pretty quick there an expert in pain at least yeah that's why i was interested early on when you you know alluded that you didn't identify as a biker i think it's interesting yeah somebody that rides all the time has ridden for decades finished leadville to leadville 100 twice i mean that's as biker as it gets i guess you're right yeah maybe maybe i need to change my pronouns yeah yeah (laughs) hi my name's mike i identify as a biker (laughs) he she Mike, thanks so much for uh, for entertaining me and for you know letting us us peek behind the curtain a little bit on everything that's involved in in Leadville 100. I really appreciate it, and it's also just to to share before we wrap. But I'm genuinely super grateful to know you. It's been really cool to see. I've because I've kind of gotten to observe the you know the Leadville 100 journey for a few years, and I've been sort of on my own endurance journey, you know, in a different way, but, but it's similar time. And so it's been really fun, but I also have really appreciated just your support and your confidence. And you've kind of helped me a ton way beyond just endurance. So I also want to take him, you know, take the opportunity to thank you for that. Cause it's huge, but, uh, I can't wait to see where you take it. Cause I feel like, well, it's like I said, I, I, if I was a betting man, there's a registration for next year. I think there, on the there might be, and, I think, uh, I think, I, likewise to you, and I think you're probably the one to watch kind of on this journey here on your your running and your endurance um, racing. Uh, you've been excited, exciting to watch too. So, 
Well, it means a lot coming from you. I have a, I have a tradition here. Okay. An Inspire by Example shirt for you. Perfect. Because you are inspiring okay. me. Thank you very much. By example, and I genuinely appreciate Thank it. Thank you. I thought you were going to break out the, the hot wings and we're going <laughs> to yeah, try some hot wings that's and next ask week. me questions. Okay. Yeah, that's next week. When I really, next episode when we talk about business, I'll make you eat hot wings. Let's eat. Yeah, let's incorporate the hot wings. Yeah, sounds awesome. Okay. Mike, thanks so much. Again, um, this episode of Chasing Greatness is brought to you by Proud Source Water, sourced from the Rocky Mountains. You heard it here first, folks. Enter promo code ChasingGreatness20, MikeZimes20, for 20% off of your, uh, your water. Awesome. Okay.